uses circumstances, events, and sometimes it uses people to kill our dreams and stifle the hopes that we have. But there's a grace upon us in June, January to dream again. And I want to encourage you to dream big. And ask yourself this question, what if, what if, what if I could do anything I wanted to do, what would it be? If I could move my life in a direction, what direction would that be? If I could have anything I want, what would it be? What if, what if what you're dreaming of became your reality? Well, some might say that what's holding you back? from that what if. Some might say, well, it's relationships. I don't know the right people. Others may say, well, I don't have enough, the the right abilities, the skills, the training, the education. Others might say, well, I just don't have the money. I believe most people would probably choose the latter and say, you know, my what ifs would be a reality if I just had the money. It seems like that money holds us back from many things that we desire and many things we hope to accomplish. It becomes a roadblock and a barrier to the dreams and the visions, the goals, the hopes that we have for our lives. If only I had enough money. It must be why Solomon of old made this statement in Ecclesiastes 10.19, money is the answer to everything. You see, money gives us options. When you're busted and disgusted, when you're broken in debt, you don't have options. But when you have money, you have a lot of options. And money can fix a lot of problems. Now, we know that money alone cannot make us happy. But I know that poverty doesn't make you happy either. And so uh, it might take a little of both to be happy. And the good news is that the Bible is full of answers concerning money, instructions on money, promises concerning money. I've heard it said that one out of every 10 verses in your Bible and mine addresses the topic of money, more than the topic of prayer, more than the topic of even salvation. Money is one of the most often mentioned topics in the entire Bible. Because like Solomon said, money really is the answer to all things. And most of what you and I endeavor to do and what we're reaching for in life is directly influenced by money. And I have to admit that most of the choices I make in life are directly influenced by the resources I currently have. And if I'd had more resources, I probably would have done something different. And so money indeed does, is the answer to everything. So God gave us the power to get wealth. He made it a part of his covenant that he would empower us over and above our natural ability and our natural means to get what we need to live the life he's ordained for us. So I want to show you this verse in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8. and Look at verse 18 and we're reading it from the New International Version. It says, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is today. Notice it said he gives you the ability to produce wealth. It doesn't fall out of the sky. You don't find it in a paper sack by your trash can in the morning. It is the ability to produce wealth. 
Every child of God must have the deep conviction that God has given me the ability to produce wealth. He has given me the ability to earn a living, take care of my family, and to accumulate assets in the course of my life. It doesn't come all at once. It comes slowly, year after year after year. We look at our personal financial statements, and we see that year after year, we see them growing because of God's faithfulness, His generosity, and because of good stewardship. And so we are given the ability to produce wealth. Now, you may be in an early stage or season of your life when your career isn't settled or your career hasn't taken off. You may be in college and you're still preparing for that career. Remember that God has put in you the power, the ability to create or produce wealth. And you are finding that power, you're finding those abilities, you're nurturing and developing those, and God has put it in you as a part of his covenant with you. It's not just about getting a job. It's about having something in you that produces wealth, something in you to offer the public, to offer the the business world, to offer the workforce. It's about something in you that you bring to the table, and what you bring to the table is what creates wealth and produces income in your life. So know that God has given you the ability. Secondly, God promises to give you opportunity. There may have been a a, a season in your life where you knew you had the ability to produce income and wealth, but you lacked the opportunity. So God is in the business of giving us opportunity to creating doors and causing those doors to open so you and I can put to work the abilities that he have inside of us. So your father has given you the ability to produce wealth and he has promised to give you opportunities to produce wealth. But if a child of God doesn't have an eye and an ear for an opportunity, look for doors and recognize doors that come up before them then we can miss much of what God has in store for us because we simply are not keen on on watching for opportunities. You already may have a job started in your career, and God may bring opportunities along, and you can and, and just miss those opportunities for advancement, promotion, and, and for acceleration in your career. So look for abilities, look for opportunities. Now, on top of ability and opportunity, there are the blessings of God that bring good things into alignment and accelerate my natural gifts, my natural abilities that bless me in such a way that I can do more than I otherwise could do. You know, the blessings of God are a supernatural edge in life. It makes good things happen to us. It brings alignment to us. It gives favor on our lives with other people. So I have the ability to produce wealth because I'm a child of God. I have opportunities that are coming my way because I am a child of God. And I know that God's blessing is upon my life. You know, the word bless is still a very common term here in America. Uh, the least Christian opportunity, uh, Christian politician in the world is likely to close a a speech by saying, God bless America. And the whole concept of blessing is that it is God's special touch 
special goodness, special help in our lives. So Americans still have a very uh, deep-rooted belief that you can have so much ability and you can have opportunities and be doing your best, but then on top of that, God adds his blessing and everything you have is multiplied and every gift you have is synergized and opportunities come your way in abundance and good things happen to you because you're a child of God and he is blessing you. You see, Moses said in Deuteronomy 8, I read, God did this to confirm his covenant. So one of the ways that God confirms his covenant with us, which is our salvation, is that he gives us ability, opportunity, and his blessings to produce wealth in our lives. Now, producing wealth is part of the equation. You already know that the second part of the equation is managing wealth. It takes real wisdom to manage wealth. There's I suppose you, many of you that are my age are like me in this sense that I can look back on times in my life when we were producing revenue, but we were not managing it as carefully as we should have. And so it seemed to slip through our fingers because we didn't have the wisdom to know how to handle wealth, to handle our assets. But as time goes on, we learn how to do better at managing our finances. Because it takes wisdom to manage wealth. You all know of people that somehow won a lottery or they got a big settlement in court and suddenly they went from being broke to being rich. But only after a few months or a year they were broke again. The reason was they didn't have the wisdom to manage the wealth. So we must not only have the ability to produce wealth, but we must have the wisdom to manage it. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 11 and 12, I read you from the New Living Translation. Wisdom is even better when you have money. How many know wisdom's better when you have money? Both are a benefit as you go through life. Wisdom and money can get you almost anything. Wisdom and money can get you almost anything. But only wisdom can save your life. And so, um, God help us to have the wisdom we need to manage uh, what he's blessed us with. It's been my experience that because this is a land of opportunity and America's blessed and we live in a blessed region of the world, there are lots of opportunities and we have the, the opportunities for education and training and, and, and employment and business opportunities are all there. But people struggle because uh, they haven't learned the wisdom in managing money. So oftentimes it's not the ability to produce wealth, but it's the ability to manage wealth that becomes the problem. So we've got to learn how to manage our money. And uh, I know I'm still learning. Uh, I know that uh, I've been managing multi-million dollar budgets for many years. And I'm still learning keys and principles to managing money God's way. And uh, so it's kind of a lifelong journey. I think I know a lot more now than I have, and I'm, I'm certainly able to help others along the journey. But it's not like you get there and you graduate and you got it done. There's just always changing circumstances and events and opportunities to learn and grow. I believe it's important as parents that we teach our children how to manage money. We graduating students that are brilliant, 
make really good grades. They don't have a clue how to manage money because parents have managed it all for them. We turn them out to life, turn them to college, turn them out to marriage, and turn them out to a career, and they really don't know how to manage their money. So they're making money, but they end up with more debt uh, because they don't know how to manage it. And man training your kids how to manage money has got to start when they're real, real small. Start when they're real small. And if you teach them good management skills when they're growing up, when, they're, when they get to high school, they'll have it. When they get to college, they'll know what to do with it. When they get started in their career, their careers will take off and they'll do very, very well. So I want to encourage you parents, teach your children and, and start very, very early. I believe the church must train people how to manage money God's way. You see, there's a difference in the way the world would manage money and the way God manages money. We're part of the kingdom of God. We operate by kingdom laws and kingdom principles and kingdom dynamics. It's important that the church teach people how to manage money God's way. And it isn't that uh, the world teaches one set of principles and the, and the church teaches the opposite. It's just a higher level. It's just a notch up. So we can learn from the world, but there's only certain things that you can learn from studying the scripture about how through the ages God teaches his people how to manage money God's way. One of the men and gifts that God has raised up in this day and time to help Americans and people worldwide to better manage their money God's way is Dave Ramsey. I don't know if you have studied Dave Ramsey. We offer his financial peace course here every year. And uh, he is a leader and a profound Christian and bases everything he believes on the Bible. You can hear him on secular radio um, and secular television. Uh, and he does a great job teaching people how to manage money God's way. This next segment, uh, he shares with us the problem and the solutions and motivates us to learn how to manage money God's way. And I wanted to share my time with him today. Let's watch the video. Imagine with me for a second, a church filled with passionate, loving, outrageous givers. Well, that would sadly require a little imagination because the surveys tell us that only 3% of evangelical Christians give a tithe, a tenth of our income. That means 97% aren't. Does that mean 97% don't love their church? They don't love God? They don't love Jesus? Is that what it means? Does it mean they're greedy? That they're, that they're swallowed up in consumerism? I kind of used to think that. But now that I've worked with families for literally decades, all across the globe, and certainly in North America by the hundreds of thousands, I've discovered that that's just not the case. They're not greedy. They're broke. Wall Street Journal says 70% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. That's who's sitting in these pews. And then we preach a tithe sermon and can't figure out why giving doesn't go up. I must have not been an effective speaker. Now you're beating your head against a wall, so what's happening? I've done it too. So I kind of came up with a different idea. I started realizing who it is I'm dealing with, and if I can get them to look at things differently, wow, what could happen then? 
Because see, Proverbs 22, seven is the truth. The borrower is slave to the lender. And, and we see that sense of slavery when the money comes in, the money goes out, and we don't have the money here to be able to do the giving we want to give. You remember Moses leading the children of Israel right out of Egypt across the wilderness. A few little stops along the way, but basically we end up at the River Jordan. We send in 12 spies to spy out the land that God has given us, the promised land. The 12 spies come back, 10 of them come back with the spirit of Eeyore. Oh, we'll never be able to do it. The giants are too big. The cities are too fortified. We'll never be able to pull it off. And of course, we all love the heroes of the story, Joshua and Caleb, who stand up and, yes, we can. Our God is able. Well, that's not how it ends up working, is it? They walk away and don't accept the blessings. And the first time or two I heard that sermon, I kind of thought, wow, those negative thinkers, they should have had more faith, those 10 people. But when you put that story in a historical perspective, it makes you stop and think for a second. You know, that group was only, those 10, those 12, that whole body of the children of Israel were only literally days out of 400 years of slavery. They had a slave's mentality. You know, it's hard for a slave to see positives. It's hard for a slave to see a light at the end of the tunnel that's not an oncoming train. So I've kind of had this idea. What if everyone in the congregation had a total money makeover? We could call it a total member makeover. What could the people of God do for the kingdom of God if they were debt free? You know, you and I, it says in here in Genesis, are made in God's image. And I go back to basics. John 3:16. He gave his only begotten son. That one is still hard for me to understand and fathom. I've got one son. I just can't grasp that. I do understand that's giving at an unbelievable level. And I'm made in his image. Wow. So in my spiritual DNA is woven the propensity, the probability to be a giver. Isn't that interesting? And when I'm not giving, I'm not walking out my spiritual calling. I'm not becoming Christ-like. I'm not a Christ follower. Of course, the psalmist says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So when I start to understand that it's not just a tithe issue, it's a management issue. I'm an asset manager for God. All of the things that come into my dominion are to be managed for His glory. When I do that, whoa things happen not only in my personal life, but in my congregation. So I'm kind of of the idea that maybe we ought to teach people to get out of debt and get on a budget. If they were to do that, I think giving would naturally happen. That's why we're coming at this from a little different angle. 
we developed a thing called Momentum. It's a great plan. I want to show it to you. You know, there's over 800 scriptures that deal with how to handle money and possessions. God talks about this a lot, but a lot of churches don't talk much about money, except during the capital campaigns or the stewardship drive. Stewardship, it's an interesting word. It's really an old English term. It means manager, one who manages another's financial affairs, it says in Webster's. Stewardship. But in our churches in North America, the word stewardship has become code for fundraiser. Stewardship drive doesn't mean management drive. It means we're getting ready to ask you for some money. <laughs> Those of us that are lay people in the church, we hear stewardship, we reach for our wallets. <laughs> we know what's coming. Momentum is a church-wide response to the Lordship of Christ in the area of money, in the area of personal finance. You see, I've read this thing, and it, well, in second hesitations, it doesn't say there's manageable debt. Manageable debt's not in here. Now, I'm not mad at you if your church has used debt. I'm certainly not mad at you if you personally use debt. I'm just here to say, might be another way. Momentum is not a one-time pledge drive. We don't need one-time pledge drives. We need people who have permanently changed the way they look at money and create a life pattern of giving called tithing and offering. Momentum is not begging or pleading or borrowing. It's not manipulation, it's not guilt trips, and it's not targeting the rich families, and I promise no rubber chicken dinners. Momentum is discipleship, training the church, training God's people how to handle God's money, God's ways. And we show the church leaders how to manage the church budget a little better. You know, that planning process can be a little hairy. I've been in those meetings. Sometimes they're a little bit, <laughs> well, it's tough for Christians. Yeah, it is. And we're gonna show you how to do this. But I will promise you this, momentum is not easy. It's not easy for the members of your church because we're asking them to change. Because most people in North America are handling their money wrong. Most people are in debt, they're broke, they don't have a plan and they're scared, they need to be changed. It's kind of a Romans 12, 2 experience. Be not conformed to this world. I don't want to be conformed to this world. This world's broke. I don't want to be normal. But be transformed. How are you transformed? Oh, you're transformed now by putting God's Word into your brain. And it changes your heart and changes your spirit and changes your behavior and changes your life. It's called transformation transformed by the renewing of our minds. And momentum is not easy for the church either. Because churches, they get a set way of doing things. Some of them don't have a set way of doing things and they need a little bit more of a set way of doing things. And some of them are way too set. They need a little, well, need a little change brought in. And change is always painful for everyone.
You know, 85% of the churches in North America do not have a plan for teaching the members of their congregation how to handle money God's ways. They don't have a money management training program. The other thing about momentum is it's not quick because personal finance is 80% behavior. It's only 20% head knowledge. And we can give you the head knowledge and we can begin to show you the behavior modification process, but it takes time. Behavior change takes time. And we humans, we fight change. You know, sometimes when we're talking about tithing or we're doing a sermon or we're trying to do a stewardship drive, sometimes it's like trying to harvest where we haven't really planted. What do I mean by that? Well, we're trying to get people to give who don't have any money. And so what we're doing is kind of starting a little further back in the process. We want to plant some seed. That would be like teaching the members of your body how to handle money God's ways, how to get out of debt, how to be on a budget, how to have an emergency fund, how to invest for their future so they have some dignity, and how to make giving just a part of their walk. As they start doing the things that we're talking about, that becomes the stalk. We've planted the seed, now the stalk is growing. What grows at the top of the stalk? Ah, the fruit. Now it's time to harvest. But it's tough to harvest. As a matter of fact, it's probably impossible to harvest where you haven't planted. With my team, I run a, a good-sized company, and the average age in the place is 27 to 30 years old. A bunch of young people. Lots of T-shirts and flip-flops. A lot of brilliant people. It looks kind of like a dot-com around our place. And, and so as we start to have success, and as we have had God's blessings poured on our organization, I wanted to take a few minutes and teach them this stuff doesn't just occur. We've worked our tail ends off for 20 years, now we're an overnight success. And so we taught them a thing called the Momentum Theorem. And that's where this plan got its name, from the Momentum Theorem. The Momentum Theorem is F-I over T multiplied by G equals unstoppable momentum. Now let's unpack that for a second. FI is focused intensity. Focused intensity, well, you gotta be focused. Lots of people aren't focused. The whole culture is kinda ADD. We just run in 16 directions and don't seem to get anything done. James talks about this. He says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. A guy, a gal who can't keep their eye on the ball, an organization that can't be focused, doesn't get anything done. Intensity? Oh, we're intense in our culture, but sometimes it's only at a football game. We need to take that kind of intensity and move it into our spiritual walk, move it into our marriage, our parenting, move it into our careers, move it into our money management. Focused intensity over time takes time. The tortoise wins the race every time I read the book. He beats the hare every single time, but it takes time. If you're looking for a quick fix, ah, we're not in the microwave business. We're in the crockpot business. Focused intensity over time multiplied by God. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Multiplied by God equals unstoppable Momentum, you plug that formula in, you can't be stopped, and it'll create momentum, and momentum is a powerful thing. When you have momentum, you look a lot smarter than you are. When you don't have momentum, you look a lot dumber than you are. 
We want to create momentum in the body of Christ. Many years ago on my talk radio show, we started a tradition. People started calling in after they had sacrificed and sold things and worked extra jobs and been on a budget and finally gotten their debt paid off. They wanted to celebrate and they would call in and they still do to this day and scream, I'm debt free. And it gives hope to all the listeners and I've gotten all kinds of fan mail as a result of those calls. It's amazing. A couple of times recently, We've had situations where the local church became completely debt-free. The whole congregation, led by the pastor, led by the elders, gets on the phone and calls in on our talk radio show and lets the whole nation hear them scream together, We're debt-free! Wow, the bride of Christ should really share in the excitement of being debt-free. You know, there's a story in Exodus when Moses had been given the commandment to build the tabernacle. And it reads something like this, Exodus 36, 6 through 7. Then Moses gave an order, and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more, because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. That's what happens when God's people are set free to give. Unstoppable momentum to accomplish God's mission. Well, that was Dave Ramsey. He's tremendous, and I hope you'll get plugged in and allow him to impact your life. Our life teams start here on February the 19th, and every Wednesday night after that for eight weeks, we're going to offer Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University. And I'd like to encourage you to go and be a part of that. It'll be every Wednesday night, last about an hour and 15, 20 minutes. Um, and uh, it's going to be wonderful. And we've already had a lot of people have gone through it, and I want to make that available to you. But it'll be a DVD, something like you saw here today. And then some discussion and some workbooks. It's really hands-on. It'll be a great blessing to you. And so just put that seed in your heart. It's coming up just in about a month or so. And it'll be a great opportunity for you to really grow and learn how to manage money God's way. Can you say amen? So what if you were financially free? Have you thought about that? What if you were financially free? What if you weren't under financial stress and strain? What if you weren't paying lots of money on notes and bills and uh, interest that uh, refers to your debt. What if you were financially free? What if you were debt free? What if you could save and buy anything you wanted? Or you could tithe joyfully? Or you could give to any cause you wanted to give to? You know, there's Christians right here in this room that are living that life right this minute. It's not some fantasy or some dream world, but it's happening right now in this room. If it's not happened to you, you can be a part of it. You need to know that God wants you to have wealth and not live under financial stress and strain. He wants you to do well in the course of your life. And His power and His force is behind you. The book of Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20, it says, Now all glory to God who is able through His mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more 
than we might ask or think. God's able to do anything we're big enough to dream and even more. And I want to encourage you to dream. And as you dream, realize that it takes money to finance that dream. That life that you want to live, that business you want to have, that career you're pursuing, that home you want to live in, those things you want to provide for your family, it takes money to do all that. And it takes the ability to manage money God's way. And we want to help you to do that. I'm giving you four action points, and I'll be finished for today. Four action points, things you can do immediately. First of all, give all your money to God. Give every bit of it to God. Become His steward of your finances. You see, if it's always my money, then I'm always going to have problems. But when I realize that I was purchased by the blood of Jesus, that the Son of God purchased me and everything that belongs to me, it's not my money, it's God's money with my name attached to it. I'm the steward. I'm the manager. I'm the one responsible for it, but I've given it all to God. And he can move assets from my account to whatever else he wants to move those assets from because I've given all my money to God. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not asking you to give all your money to the church. I'm asking you to give it to God and see yourself as a manager and as a steward and not an owner. Trust God to bless you, to give you wisdom, and to, and to help you in every area of your life. Because if I'm an owner, I'm likely to be stressed out worried but when it's God's I realize it's his and all I have to do is manage it according to God's way the second action point is put God first and start tithing today tithing says that God is first in my life I don't give him the leftovers I don't even give him the last 10 percent after I paid everything else but I give him the first 10 percent and then everything that I have to pay afterwards put God first by becoming a tither. 10% of my increase goes to the Lord. That's his. That is managing money God's way. Not the world's way. It's God's way. And if you look at your family budget and say, man, we don't have 10%. Start making some priorities. Make some changes in what's important. Begin to put God first in your life and see what God will do for you. The third action point is Check your spending. Get on a budget. By and large, we don't have an income problem. We have a spending problem. And the first step toward really being a good manager is learning how to control spending and creating a budget. We'll talk to you about that as time goes on. The fourth action point is explore ways to increase your earnings. You know, oftentimes... The solution for us as we rationalize it is more money means less financial stress. But oftentimes that isn't the solution because people have more money, but they also have more stress. And so as they climb the ladder of income, so climbs the ladder of stress and worry. So oftentimes the solution is not more money, it's better management. But there is a point when all of us have to explore ways to increase our income because God is your heavenly father and you're blessed he will give you ways to increase your income to increase the inflow into your life so explore ways that you can increase your earnings thankfully America is still the land of opportunity 
And the Houston area is as good a place to live as you'll find on this planet, maybe better. And there's so many opportunities here. And in this modern world where we can work from home, carry computers around in our pocket, we're connected with the world, there's so many opportunities to create additional streams of income into our lives. I want to encourage you to explore ways to increase your income. Can you say amen? Please stand with me for a moment. I'm going to ask you to give me this time to pray a blessing over you. Pastor Renee is going to come and she's going to uh, receive the offering and give you a couple of important uh, bullet points you'll want to know and we'll be done for today. I pray, Heavenly Father, that the dreams in our hearts would be so vivid, the passion in our heart would be so fiery, that we would hope and believe and work toward the things you put in our heart. I pray for the people of God that they would get to a stronger, better place, that you would bless every area of their lives, bless their income and their outgo. Give us both money and wisdom to manage the things that you've given us. I pray for those that are at the beginning of their career and are just starting to find that career, to get that job and to open that business. I pray, Lord, that your hand of goodness and blessing would be upon each and every one of them. And others that are further along in the journey, bless them, O oh God, as they pursue their dreams and their goals. We declare that 2017 is going to be a year of advancement and promotion and a fulfillment of our dreams and goals. I pray a blessing on the people of God in Jesus' name. And everyone say amen. You may be seated just a moment. You know, last week I was in Nederland in Beaumont and uh, ministered in those congregations. And the Lord really put something on my heart, not really knowing the direction pastor was going for this month, but I just felt the Lord say, Renee, give this year to me. Just give it to me. And we do that every year in some way. And um, But I just was quickened in my heart to do something physical because we are very visual beings. And so I, uh, I wrote my check that, or I wrote a check for $217. I'm not suggesting you do that, or uh, you, you may want to do that. You may want to do it for 2017. You may want to do it for $20.17. But I do suggest today that you do something, and I know everyone is here that's a part of this house has already gotten your tithe envelopes ready, and if you're a guest, we certainly do not expect you to be in a giver today. For anything you do give, we promise you to be good stewards over it, and we're grateful for that. However, today, I want to encourage that every person here just do something. Maybe it's an extra 2017. I don't, it's not about us receiving an extra offering. It's about saying, this year, God, this is your year. I'm giving it to you. And it's a double thing when we're saying we are giving our finances over to you, like Pastor said this morning. God, it's yours. It's not mine. I'm a steward. And it's a physical thing that we do. Today, we're going to read from Proverbs the third chapter, ninth and tenth verse, please. She will place a lovely wealth. That's 
that's not it. It's Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything that you produce. Give him, honor him with your wealth. And this, this is what he plans. This is what he has in store for us, that he will fill your barns. I know you don't all have barns, just pastor has barns. You do have cupboards. You do have houses. You do have wallets. And he will honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Tenth verse, please. And he will fill your barns with grain, and your vats will overflow with good wine. Say, good wine. I, I am not a drinker, but I understand there's a difference in wines. And uh, I want good wine if I'm going to have any. What about you guys? So we're believing God that that is your promise, and that is your promise this year. Thank you for being great managers of what God has put in your hands. We bless the offering. If you have it ready, hold it up. And while you're finishing doing that, I want to thank all of our guests for being with us. There's still people adding zeros and writing their 2017 checks. So hang on. I see them. I thank all of our guests for being here. If you're a guest at Triumph Church, we're so thankful that you're here. We truly believe God has sent you, and what a great time to get on board with us and see what God's going to do this year. You know, as, as pastors, it's really up to us to motivate you and positively get you in the right frame of mind to say, oh, this is the greatest year ever in the whole wide world. This is what I know. No matter what comes this year, we are overcomers in Christ Jesus. This will be the best year that God that we've ever, ever had. We proclaim that, and you as guests are getting on board with a great bunch of people today. So thank you to all of our guests for being here. There's a slip in the there's a connection card in your seat pocket. You'll fill that out. You may not have time to do it before we receive this offering. But please, when you fill it out, please do that for us. And uh, not because we're going to uh, bother you with a lot of stuff, but we want to stay connected and help you in any way possible. If you'll turn it into an usher, leave it on your seat or our connection desk out front. Let's give our, all of our guests a hand clap. And thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Father, for every giver in this house. Today, we not only give you our year of 2017, we give it to you literally this year, Father. We declare this is your year over our lives. This is the year.